Hi, can you hear me? Hi, how yes, I can. Can you hear me? Yes, I think I found out what the problem was. It was because oh, yeah? I, I assumed this other phone was on the internet, you know, but it wasn't. Oh, I see. Understood. Okay. Can um, you put well, thank on, you so I, much I, for... Can you switch to a video call so I can see who I'm talking to? I think it's... Uh, sure. If I'm being fact-checked, I'd like to look into your face and you sure. look into my face, right? So, hi. Hi. How are you? Good. I'm a, you know, my kid had... Yeah, I think there was a Corona Omicron outbreak at his kindergarten, so he was a little sick, and then my lady got a little sick, and today I'm feeling a little. But I'm fine. It's not. Uh, uh, it's very mild, you know. But it's like slow. You just feel like a little bit in slow motion. I mean, she tested yeah. the, the home thing yesterday because we only had one yesterday, and then she took a PCR test, which we are waiting for the result. It takes twenty four hours, so you know. But. I think if you guys, you know, if you all are okay, you'll come out stronger on the other side with more. I mean, when when the, the kindergarten sent us a list of like almost uh, a majority of the people working there and some of the kids' families, you know, it's awesome. like the thing in Denmark is they've lifted all the restrictions, you know. So it's right. I think their strategy right now maybe the what do you call it herd immunity. So, so if you read about the Denny strategy right now, it's very strange, and everybody is getting it, you know. And I think it feels like the flu, you know. Are people wearing masks in the kindergarten and the, school? Well, they're not. Before, just a few weeks ago, you know, you had to wear masks in public transport, for example, public buildings, you know, sh shops. But they lifted all those requirements, so it's up to to the individual or the institution to say, "Can you?" So I've been wearing a mask in the bus, or you know, when I go to work, or because she's pregnant. I mean, but we all got a vaccine, yeah. so it should be fine, you know. But still, well, it, it feels a bit. Yeah, yeah, it's you know that's the thing. I'm actually realizing. I mean, as I said, I st we still have to verify because we tested with the quick test. Yeah. Rapid, you know. So now we have the PCR. So, but still, it feels quite like the flu, but with the exception. Yeah, maybe, maybe foggy. Foggy, like a little foggy. tired, you know. But you know, I don't know. Of course, I've talked to some people with underlying conditions who have had this, and they are. I mean, it can be hard for people with. But the kid seems oh, to be yeah. fine. I mean, he was playing and stuff. He's a little tired and, you know, but he's okay. I mean, Fia, she's fine. She was even able to drive to the test center. I was totally sleeping and I was like, <laughs> I'm just going to sleep. It, it was, I know so many people, I'm in New York and so many people in New York got Omicron. It was just, you know, for, for weeks, every, yeah. every single day, it was like someone was getting it. It was really, it's, I mean... I don't know what it was like for you in the very beginning, but in New York, I, I grew up in New York City. Mm -hmm. the, seeing your city, uh, you know, a city like New York come to a dead stop was like one of the most shocking. I mean, I, know, I, I, things are bad now. I, I was shocked when I looked at, uh, when was it? I can't remember that, you know, I'm not very good with, with, with the test. Yeah, but when, when this thing started, I think I saw f this big freezer trucks at the hospitals, you know, they had to put yeah. people's bodies in there. That to it me was, was like, okay, if New York is having a tough time like that, I thought, whoa, this is, this it is. It was awful. And yeah. I think that for a lot of, you know, I think like, obviously everyone is ready to 
not be dealing with <laughs> a pandemic anymore. But yeah. if you saw that with your own eyes, if you saw the way that your city just was transformed, you you do still take it very, I feel like I still take it very seriously because if I could do that to my city, you know, it could do, it's, it's, it, it's worth taking. Seriously. Yeah, I mean, it's the metropolitan capital of the world. I mean, New York, who doesn't know about New York City? You know, I mean, I haven't been to New York. My lady has been, um, you oh, know. You should yeah, she has been to to New York many years ago. But still, when when we look at the culture, the history, the art, and you know a whole bunch of like uh, you know the financial markets, you know the whole shebang that affects a lot of what's going on in the world is coming yeah. from New York City, right? I mean, <laughs> so <laughs> make it out here someday and see it all for yourself. Um... I don't want to take up too too much of your time, so I'm gonna jump in. So the way that this that this usually works is, I'm just trying. My job is just to make sure that we're not getting anything wrong in the story. That's very good. Um, so I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions, mm -hmm. and you can let me know if something sounds wrong to you. Please tell me. Correct. If you think, oh, that's kind of right, but maybe it needs more clarification or more specificity, um, or if you need more context, just let me know. Um. And I'm going to start kind of simple. So I understand that your stage name is Jamkun and your real name is Tendai. And is that spelled T-E-N-D-A-I? Frank is the second name. And then Tagarira, which is T-A-G-A-R-I-R-A. That is correct. So Tendai, Frank, Tagarira. Yes, you only have that name with myself. <laughs> I mean, those three... Okay. <laughs> I don't think you'll find anybody okay. else with those three names together, you know. Yeah. Got it. Um, and I understand that... So tell me a little bit about... Um, I know Emmanuel from the show sent you a message and you sent him back some basically some homework to do. Um, can you tell me a little bit about what it was like to get that message from him and why you sent him back? Um, you know, you said, you, you, I'm happy to talk, but let's first have you, you know, learn a little bit about me. Well, because, you know, I'm, all I have, you know, um, is my story, right? I have my story to tell, my reality, my experience. And it's very important for me, especially as, a, as an African person, and also just as a person, to be able to tell my story, you know, uh, but if somebody wants to tell it for me, I'm always very um, careful to say you you really have to do your homework. Then you can tell my story, you know, and because I feel it's easy for someone to do a shoddy work and then you be misunderstood. So I don't want to be misunderstood, and I also just wanted him to really understand who am I, what is my story, you know, what is my experience. That's that's the reason. Um, and I understand that you read at the beginning, before you spoke to Emmanuel, one of the things is you read a liability statement to make sure you were protected. A disclaimer. Is that true? Well, you know, I'm, you want to know why I did that or... or... Um, yeah, just I double check that you did that. And, and yeah, why? Yeah. What was your thought there? <clears throat> I mean, I still have it in there. Uh, it's because every time, you know, I've, if I've put out work, you know, whether it's my literature, for example, if you look at my books, right at the top, you know, I always put a disclaimer statement. 
because I, I learned sure. a long time ago, you know, before making music or whatever, that why do corporations, for example, you get a pack of cigarettes, it took a lot of lobbying in America to say, you have to say smoking may be hazardous to your health, right? Because I'm a human well, being, I could possibly make human error, you know, I could mechanical error, I'm not responsible for that, for mechanical errors or human errors or whatever. So for me, this is also because I, number two, because I really uh, feel there's this cancel culture nowadays. And so as an African person, I feel I have to be very careful how I use my words. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, and I that you, you then showed Emmanuel that you have a bunch of different drums, that you have a bunch of gadgets for making music. Do you, ha do you have all those there? Yeah. <laughs> oh. And which kind is that? Oh, right now I'm playing. This is a beautiful handmade. This is like a called a steel tongue drum. This one. It's in the family of handpans. Um, it's, uh -huh. I mean, I always keep a lot of instruments in my bedroom, you know. And I've got here. Okay, I've got the headphones. If I can just. <coughs> so I've got a big red conga here. Playing. Uh huh. In my, I mean, I'm in my bedroom, in my work office, you know. I've got laptop congas sure. down there. I've got all kinds of devices. If you want to see them, I can show you, you know. <laughs> no, that's great. I, Emmanuel sort of gave me a rundown of everything that you, you showed him. Okay. Sounds like you showed you a lot of The stuff drum I showed him other. right now is at work, actually. Uh, you know, sometimes um, I, I, I have to change the one at work so that if I'm bored, then I get a new one. You know, but I have drums in this room, my kid's room, mm -hmm. downstairs, except maybe for the bathroom. But sometimes you might find a drum in there. <laughs> I've written a lot of stuff, but the stuff that is sort of uh, out there, uh, which is not out there anymore, but used to be out there, <clears throat> is my biography called Trying to Make Sense of It, you know. Before that, I did write some kind of motivational, inspirational book called Beyond Money, but really my first work where I wanted to document my story, because I was coming from Zimbabwe and... I felt that we, as a generation born after 1980, we needed to tell our story against the political backdrop of a country in a sort of crisis and a dictatorship. So it was sort of like my real first thing. So trying to make sense of it. And then there's a novel called Land Grab because of the conflict in my country. I did a background search on your, you were studying conflicts, right? In your, at your college. So that I also studied conflict analysis even with the UN Peace University you know conflicts in, oh. interest me because I was born in a conflict in a in a matter of speaking so I'm I'm that's why I felt like I needed to tell my story in the backdrop of a conflict and all my works I think most of them um I've written poetry books as well I mean I've anthologies many works you can dig and find out there but all of it really at the core of it it's me wanting to tell a story. And, and I'm also an award-winning animation filmmaker. Out of the poetry I wrote, you know, I got some guys who wanted to make a film. So I'm a storyteller. I think that's what yeah. you should put in, you know. I, I, of course, medium, I've used writing as a medium. I've used animation as a medium. I've used documentary as a medium. And now I'm using instrumental music as a medium. 
So I'm a storyteller mm-hmm. in that way. Sure, I hear you. Yeah. And is it fair, so you mentioned Zimbabwe, you mentioned being sort of outspoken. Um, is it fair to say that you're a big critic of the current government in Zimbabwe? <laughs> that is correct. I, I, you know, I, I, I don't agree with uh, much of what... Uh, I know this is probably going to get me in trouble, in, in further trouble, but I'm already in trouble, you know. But yes, that is correct. I don't agree with okay. the way they're running the country. Um, and is your criticism of the government, your um, is that part of the reason that you are living in Denmark now? That is correct. Yeah. In particular, my um, writings. Sure. Mm-hmm. And are you, uh, do you have refugee status in Denmark? Yes, is that political asylum, okay. which I'm actually... It's renewed every two years, kind of automatically. I mean, just the other day I had to go and take biometrics, blah, blah, blah. But it kind of automatically renews every two years. So it's not a permanent status. In Denmark, you don't get permanent political asylum. It's a kind uh-huh. of uh, out there. <laughs> but yes, I have political sure. asylum. That's correct. So it's renewed every two years. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's actually up for renewal right now, as I'm speaking to you. <laughs> Got it. Well, right. uh-huh. um, and how long have you been in Denmark? I came here, I arrived on 15 of June 2010. That's when I arrived in this country. I think, was it 14, so, 15 oh, June? Yeah. 15 June 2010. Over a day. Yeah. I was, it was an official invitation with red carpet and the whole nine yards when I came here. So it's easy to find that okay. information because it was a big political thing in Denmark. So is it fair to say that you've been in Denmark for over a decade? That is correct. Um, And is it true that you can't go back to Zimbabwe? Does that mean you can't go back um, legally or that you would be afraid to go back because of... Well, I mean, there are people who did maybe similar I think I've actually done worse than they did like one example is a guy called Itai Zamara mm-hmm. and he disappeared his family cannot find mm-hmm. him he cannot be accounted for I mean it's a big case there are some journalists uh, not journalists but you know people activists who have been abducted disappeared some have turned up some their bodies some fortunately they're still alive so you know I don't want I hate violence, let me put it this way, as a way to resolve things. I'd rather we argue, we put out your thing, we have a discussion, whatever, you know. So these guys use violence, and it is the violence of ZANU-PF that... And also I don't agree with the ideology of the political ideology of... To me, it's about greed, and it's about this generation that went to the war of liberation saying to my generation you didn't go to the war so you we don't really have much of a voice to shape mm-hmm. the narrative in our own country because it's not my fault that i was born yeah. after the war so yeah. in a nutshell so it's fair to say that you cannot go to back to zimbabwe or would it be well I, say... it's both i cannot and i don't want to because of my political um my political, social ideologies, and, and sure. also because of the violence, you know. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so Emmanuel mentioned that you've been recognized for your writing. Do you, he, did, did he, I can't remember if you told him 
what specific awards that you're writing well the, the award well let me put it this way the award sure. that i have was the special jewelry prize for an award-winning animation which was based on a poem that i call i wrote called a kind of worms and then we turned this poem into a, an animation film I've sent him the links. Uh, so that won an award at the Nice. Nice is a city in France, in the southern part of France, mm -hmm. film festival. And that's one of the awards I've, I've gotten. And other things, it's haven't really been like awards, but more like just, a regular, you know, I've been to the Frankfurt Book Fair. I've had talks, you know, across the universities, institutions. Got it. Yes. Got it. Okay. The French, by the way, just for your own little note, understood my film because I think they have the history of the French Revolution when King Louis and his wife, you know, Marie Antoinette and all that happened. And I think the French understood my film and that, that's why I think they gave me the award. <laughs> Maybe they, they have a little bit of an insight. I think so. And they also appreciate art on a level. I mean, if you're an artist, I see one of your friends here is called, uh, what's her name here? And I'm actually looking at the painting, Zoe, Camilla, Huey. I'm looking at this painting called Rapture. Oh, yeah. Yes. I, I, I think stuff like that in France, you would get real much more appreciation for. I know in New York, it's New York, you know, but the French really have, no, yeah, have, have, have an art. Mom, yeah. My mom is a dancer. She's a modern dancer. Okay. And some of her work is in France because yeah. they subsidize the arts yeah. you know in a way more the states is they have yeah. a ministry of arts and culture yeah. um so i i spent a lot of time in france just because she works there so much yeah. because she can't get look at the in in america you had people like miles davis and who became famous in america but the way they were treated and received in a, in in, in, in france. france look at what's her name the one in france they've honored now Joseph, josephine baker do you remember Josephine uh -huh. Baker? I mean, yes, she in America, she was just another Negro lady. But when she went to France, she was respected for her work, right? Until today. Yeah, the, yeah. So in, in that way, I feel the French people have uh, respect, not just, I mean, I'm sure there's racism in France and everywhere in the world. But I think if yeah. you're an artist, it's a good audience. Let me put it that way. Yeah, <laughs> they, they, they have an aesthetic appreciation for beauty and and intelligence you know they can understand even if you're coming from another and speaking broken french but they can pick and see this is really something interesting you know and they don't just Absolutely. judge you on the basis of your whatever you know i'm talking with mm -hmm. with art they can look through yeah. your art and see like this is genius stuff you know so yeah yeah would you ever like to live in france yourself uh you know to be quite frank if i had uh, the opportunity i would uh, I mean, I like Denmark and everything. My lady is from here, but I would live in the south of France in Nice because I, I got a lot of love when I was down there, you know, really. Yeah. I mean, I've also got love in Denmark and, and hate, but I think if it was up to me personally, I would live in the south of France. <laughs> also because yeah. of the weather. <laughs> or I would live I there half, half maybe like during the winter time, uh, you know, <laughs> that sort of thing. And I'm going with her to not to Nice, but to Arles, which is yeah. in the south of France yeah. as well. I'm going summer with her because um, yeah. because I need to get out of New York City. Yeah, um, I can I've, so, I've never been to 
the south. Um, oh, you're gonna love Paris. it. You know, Paris is yeah. a very stressful city. It's a very modern and very okay. You live in it's New York. You live in New York, so you understand yeah. the city. But when you're yeah. out in the south, it's a little more. It's it's like being in Africa, but not while you're being in Europe. You know, the weather, the climate is Mediterranean, and it's the food. Mm. I know. Yeah. So <laughs> father is from Naples, Italy. Yeah. Ah, that's also so beautiful, by the way. If if you're in Nice, you just go to Italy. I mean, when I was in Nice, I was going to Monte Carlo. You know, it's just this quick bus ride. You know, the only thing I could afford was McDonald's there, and <laughs> they have the best McDonald's with the best view. <laughs> I ate. Uh, sorry, I just have to say this to you. The one thing I ate in France, which was strange, was called foie gras. It's they force feed these ducks, and then I was like, afterwards, I couldn't eat the whole thing i was like i need to go and get some burgers <laughs> yeah. But... yeah no it's pretty it's pretty nasty yeah it's pretty it's pretty gross but you know here in the states it's not like we have the best standards for um, the treatment of uh the animals we eat either so <laughs> um okay anyway so um let's see so is it true so i know that you've been in denmark for about a decade but is it true that you just sort of recently moved to the countryside I moved to the countryside in, uh, I wrote to, in, in, I had to get my wife and the dates correct, but it was in the summer, June, I think, of 2017, because my kid was born okay. in, on 18 November, you know, 2016, and uh, it, it became apparent to me that the apartment in the city, I mean, I lived in the heart of the city, Oz is the second capital, that we had to move, you know, and we got this offer out here. And it's really beautiful, you know. I mean, to be honest, it's just like there's a big. It's behind a big suburb, but it's it's an old village, the highest village in Denmark, in terms of altitude. Wow. Denmark is a flat country, so I can see for miles. So it's a beautiful wow. place. Beautiful. Yeah. Um. And uh, is it fair to say that when you moved to the countryside, you were feeling a bit socially isolated? Is that fair to say? <sighs> You know, I, I, I think the thing is, just even before I moved, you know, I had, uh, I told you, when I lost my friend Yasha, this this is connected. I sort of, uh, you know, this was, if you look at the timeline I sent you, the racism thing, the court case happened around 2014. And when I went to the court, this part I didn't tell Emmanuel, but uh, I can emphasize to you, you know, I didn't see a single black person except for Yasha who came to support me because they are afraid. You know, and there's, a, I know a lot of Africans, they were afraid to be seen by the media supporting me, you know. And that kind of also broke my heart in a way. But also some of the company I was hanging around at the time was uh, the Ganja crowd and, and some of it, you know. I had to sort of cut myself from that. So when I moved to the countryside, it was more like, of course, it's a new place. We don't really know people. It takes some time. So in that way, it was a bit of a... A little bit of a social isolation but you know born, i've got a small kid you know so we're busy <laughs> so i was meeting new faces and stuff like that you know it was like a second coming to denmark you know sure. yeah. okay um so maybe not social isolation as much as just social reorientation and it was sort of like a fresh start a clean start i think a clean start in a way a break from the sort of the chaos of whatever you know the the usual and um but in some ways small ways yes i became socially isolated in in that way 
Okay. Yes. And was it around that time that you moved that you decided to learn to play the drums? Yes, it was, um, you know, these thoughts had been with me for, for a long time, as I realized, in my hard drive. <laughs> but um, when I finally had the courage, you know, it was, and I felt like, you know, that when I ordered this drum, you know, it, it had taken me a couple of weeks, I think, but the drum itself, I ordered it, it came in less than a week. I mean, it was on the 11th of September, 2018. I remember this day, obviously. That's when I got the package. So I had been thinking about it, obviously, the maybe weeks and months before that. And then I was thinking what kind of instrument I should play because it's so nice out here. You can make a lot of noise and nobody's looking at you and thinking you're crazy. You know, I can go on top of the hill and sing and what, and I'm free to sort of like, uh, you know, act whatever, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Totally. And, but, and, and Emmanuel mentioned that you would sort of walk around the neighborhood and practice your job. Well, you know, to, this is a really special place. I wish it, it was daylight I could show you around or take the camera with, but yeah. it's, um, because I mentioned it's, it's on a hill and uh -huh. the, there's a lot of cycling going on, you know, especially in the summer, people are biking a lot and stuff. I mean, there's a lot of fields. There's a whole bunch of places you can go. So it, it there was no shortage. There's no shortage of space for me to go and play my my congas or this and that. And also, I feel like I can do it without some people looking at me like you're playing the wrong note or whatever. So I felt just liberated, you know, in that way. The small the small bongos I could show them to you. I mean they're downstairs but uh, I started with the small uh, wooden bongo drum and then I moved to the congas you, you know like this drum I'm showing you here for instance uh, this red conga it's fiberglass you know because I cannot have a very heavy drum because of I had an old motorcycle accident many years ago so I I, I, I always have to look think about the weight of the instrument. And then I had to get my own sort of uh, a synthetic fiber because it rains a lot in Denmark, you know. It can get wet at any time and stuff. So I needed an instrument that the original bongo I bought was cowhide. So if it was a little rain, it could get wet, you know. So I had to get like the congas, fiberglass and, you know, other instruments that I could sort of like take out there but you know there's always that thing with the weather but the venova is perfect because it's a plastic tube you know <laughs> so that's another reason i'm just saying you know is it fair to say that before you started playing the drums you didn't think of yourself as a musician i know you said that you were a storyteller you, you've always been an artist but music wasn't something that you thought you were no I, I, I had a lot of musician friends you know like i've met you know i've met fat joe for instance i've interviewed fat joe um, I've interviewed Exhibit, I've met them, you know, I, I could meet any artist who came to to Denmark to play, you know, I, I would have access as a journalist here, so, you know, and I've even been to that Kanye West and uh, Jay-Z niggas in Paris thing, <laughs> concert, um, I mean, I've seen so many musicians coming to Denmark and I've talked to a lot, you know, but I never felt that I could be like, you know, considered you know it, it, i was like this is their craft you know i'm just here to showcase it you know that's what i was doing yeah, sure. yeah. 
Understood. Okay. Um, and at what point did you start deciding to share your music with the world and not just do it privately? Well, I actually wrote you a chronology here, so because I knew that uh, you know I'm not always the best with the remembering all the dates, specific dates, but <laughs> on this one I have a specific date, so it should be easy. Okay, great. It should be easy to find here. Actually, I just uh, okay. look because I I had to write this down, you know, because I sometimes it. This is why when I went to court with the racism case, I had written everything down the next day. Because after two years, when it's two almost three years, when I went to the thing, you you forget details, you know. So I'm sure. just. I'm so just, I see that your first single was released in June of twenty twenty. Nineteen years, uh, as Drumkun, you know. Um, that's when I right. felt like okay, this is now Drumkun taking the stage, and it was with the the one drum, the one Emmanuel saw, the one I've put at work, the steel tongue drum. So you know. That was when I felt like, okay, and it, it's it's about the neutron stars, you know, because I felt like, imagine, this is a humongous, I would actually want you to tell, what's her name, Joey, whatever, Zoe, Zoe, Camilla, Yui, mm -hmm. about the neutron star collision, because as an artist, maybe she could get some inspiration to paint that, because I can see her style yeah. of painting is very, some of it is a bit like cosmic or futuristic or whatever. That yeah, but yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm just saying that event for me was prophetic. That uh, collision of neutron stars that happened, and I felt like what an event. They've never captured it on camera, NASA, and they did. So that was mm -hmm. me saying this is a prophetic event and putting mm. it in, in, in the music. Sure. And can you tell me how you chose the stage name Drumcoon? What it oh. means to you? Okay. I'm going to detail it in a nutshell for you. Uh, in, in, in a nutshell, I'll just summarize and then I go into details. It's a confrontation. It's a confrontation of past, present and future racism. How? One day I was playing the this little wooden bongo. That one I've donated it to my kids kindergarten. You know, I've donated a bunch of drums over there. But it was a family gathering with my wife and her extended family. You know, in Denmark, there's in the summertime, people have family day where families who don't usually meet, they meet. So it's a lot of people. And I was the only African guy because of my wife. But they're very nice people, you know. But this guy was just having a conversation with fear and I was sitting out there and I was just playing this little conga drum, sorry, bongo drum. It's called, you know, wooden bongo, which is made in Germany by a German. And Schlagwerk is the company that makes it. And then he just heard the sound. And he says, he's talking to my lady. He doesn't know she's my lady. He hadn't seen me. He just heard the sound of this drum. And he says, who's playing that nigger music? And of course, when I found out, you know, it, it made me... He, 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 I'm sure if he had seen me first, you wouldn't say nigger out of being polite. But he just sort of... Mm -hmm. it, it, it was just a, like a, you know, a reflex... A re yeah, like when, so for me, that, that subconscious racism, which is not where people have to, maybe in other circumstances, he would have censored it, but he didn't know he was talking to my lady, you know. And of course, he said, oh, that's my husband, you know. So that was the first thing. And then when I came home, of course, we discussed more about this whole thing. We have a son who's mixed, you know, what does it mean, blah, blah. It was a beautiful day, by the way. My kid even played with the guy, and he was very happy to play with my kid. His little dog was playing with my kid. So I started also reading, you know, this blackface art 
it's got black Americana art. And I saw it was a lot of it on eBay was for sale, you know, as like little postcards, this black Americana art. And when you read about black Americana art, it just took me to the Kun song, you know, the Kun song, if you go on Wikipedia, to me, that was just like, what? They had a hit song in the, I think, late 1800s or early 1900s called Kun song, you know, and, and when you go on Wikipedia, I mean, if you, if you, I don't know if you have a computer in front of you, but uh, <laughs> just go and say Kun song with a C. This is part of your research, so I think it's important. And, and when, when you click on that page, specifically that page, and the image, you see the first image there, which says yeah, Kun, Kun, yeah. Kun. That image, and then there's the a white one. guy with a black face. It just struck me so much that, you know, just like I'm, I'm, I'm watching the paintings, you know, I also like uh, sort of uh, visual arts, right? But I looked at this and I thought, wow, the most successful song hit of 1901. But then I'm looking at the depiction of the black man in the caricature. And I was thinking, wow, I mean, you know, so together with, and this was happening in the same, you know, just a few days after, you know, and then I thought, you know what, I'm going to take that Kun thing and put a K to it, as in, mm -hmm. I'm reclaiming this word, but putting a K to it to make something positive out of it. But in that essence, I'm sort of now combining it with a drum who's playing that nigger music, drum mm -hmm. and K-O-O-N. Then I thought in that way, it's confronting racism, past, present, and future racism. I mean, think about it. I went to an exhibition in in Frankfurt in Germany. Jeff Koons. You know Jeff Koons, the guy who makes all this uh, <laughs> very interesting, weird stuff. And he's called Koons with an S, you know. And nobody has ever said anything about the Koons part. Or in, in Deutschland... There are people who are called Kun, K, I think, maybe H-Y, and, you know, there are even people, I think, still called Kun or, you know, Drum Kun, I don't know, you know. So, I don't see how, you know, but some people I've seen on t TikTok, these kids were saying, yeah, you know, when the Hey Google thing happened, I know you're going to ask me a question, but some comments in there, one kid was saying, yeah, but we can't say his name, though, you know, like, I was thinking, why... Why? I want you to say it. You know, I, I, I don't I give everybody consent to say it because for me I wanna teach my kids they'll ask me, but why? Then I have a chance to talk about racism in a positive way. Huh. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Um so is it fair to say I know that you just gave me a lot of backstory. One of the ways that we frame it in the story is that um you chose this name as a reference to racist minstrelsy songs that were very popular among white Americans. And yeah, and, and the characters. fact that the, the, the Kun song was the most successful song hit of 1901. Right. Like, can you imagine? Right. Imagine the billboard charts of today if they had Kun, Kun, Kun. You know, but think about the same billboard in 1901. That was the hit song. You know. Sure. <laughs> so. And after you um, started putting your music on Spotify for a while under your stage name, um, you start to notice that Spotify is not a very democratic platform in terms of up-and-coming artists versus big artists. Um, and Emmanuel mentioned one specific uh, playlist called Serenity that you noticed. Like, why does this playlist 
um, spotlight bigger artists and not up and coming artists. Is that does that sound right to you? Okay, first of all, there are two things I need to separate in your question. You'd say Spotify okay. is uh, not necessarily a democratic space for, as in, in a democracy, it's the people's voice which decides. Well, I don't know, that's a very interesting word to use. But my word to use maybe would be, I think, it, first of all, it's a great platform. I mean, I, I've said this many times, you know, that I don't have a doubt that the streaming revolution changed music, you know. But I just feel that independent artists or artists from, let me put it more specifically to you, artists like myself from a kind of marginalized background, especially, you know, uh, I'm not Snoop Dogg or whatever, you know, who've met the cut up there, the few, you know, I'm talking the people out there. I just find it strange that a lot of the, like the music from the developing world that was really famous, that was really, you get peanuts out of it, you know. I, I, I get frustrated a little bit when I see guys like Candido Camero. Uh, Candido Camero, if you ever been to a live concert where there were congas in the band, have you ever been to a concert where they were playing congas in the band? The congas like Maybe. the big drums. I'm sure most bands, Carlos Santana, yeah. all these people nowadays, any live band usually yeah. have congas in them. He was the first guy to play two, three, four, five congas, six congas, you know, and that just became the standard today. But I feel like his contributions, this is the thing, and I want you to understand me, I hope Emmanuel understood this. The contributions of some of these people musically are not recognized. It's the focus is just on streaming numbers. Uh-huh. That's one, one point. Second point, which I try to highlight to Emmanuel a little later in the second part, but I have to give it to you now, was if, for instance, Spotify, alongside the streaming numbers of, say, the weekend, they also tell us how much carbon emissions were emitted. I wanted to have that conversation with Emmanuel, but, you know, it was towards the end. Were emitted in making this music. Because my music, I'm really, we use wind energy here. I use a solar charger for to charge some of my equipment. And I've tried to write a little bit about this, you know. So if, if that's another conversation, I think if we had another focus, instead of just the focus on the streaming numbers, on Apple Music, for instance, they don't put stats. And I think on the Spotify thing, the fact that those numbers are out there, I think changes how people yeah. interact with the music. Mm -hmm. And how musicians produce music. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And I understand one of the things that you noticed was, you know, um, one of the things exacerbating the problem of always spotlighting specific kinds of artists and always looking over other maybe more marginalized kinds of artists was the smart speaker and the way that people use smart speakers. Well, I, I thought now, now this is where I'll take your democracy word and put it in this one, because I thought... Surely this device could democratize music because it's not about, you know, another thing which I mentioned to Emmanuel was um, the sexualization of the imagery, the art, right? Um, in the album cover, you know, some people, some of these people can afford to hire these exclusive digital experts who can take my great, great grandmother who's passed away and make her look like Marilyn Monroe. You understand what I'm saying? And, and, uh, 
that has an effect on your psychology. It's not the music, it's the album cover. You know, I talked to him about my first encounter with Snoop Dogg in Dagestan. And I thought, this is a platform where we're not so much focused on the visuals, but the voice, the sound itself, you know, the, the, the instrument or the voices, whatever. And I thought that might give us a chance. But when I was now requesting music, I was like, how is it now? It's only giving me major label music. So that was my thesis, <laughs> you know, because I, I thought it could be a space to really democratize music. Understood. Mm -hmm. um, and is that a part of why you um, decided to name some of your songs as kind of like, hey Alexa, okay Google, that, can you tell me a little bit how that well, that, that, that um, which Emmanuel calls a trick, and some people have called it whatever, but to me it was a thesis, but it was also kind of a, maybe a provocative thing to do, but, you know, I come from a literature background, and as a writer, <laughs> I express also in, in writing, right? And then as I was doing, I, I had the, hey, what's the Google Smart Speaker, and I think I had the Alexa one as well, um, and I was trying to teach them to find my music, you know, they would make mistakes, they would do this, but most of the time they'll just give me major label music. Uh -huh. And so I decided to make an album to say, okay, fine. I don't know how this whole, uh, algorithm works because that's my other thing, the algorithm. I'm always curious as to what exactly is, because this music is being curated by an algorithm. Is it smart, so smart that it can figure this very simple thing out? You know, hey Google, play music. Hey Google, play Christmas music. Hey Google, play whatever, you know. So I shortlisted some, I mean, I had a long list. I had to shortlist a little bit. And then when I put it out, I was surprised it got a lot of attention, you know. But uh -huh. but <laughs> then some of the journalists we were early to write about this. And they didn't really call me to ask me my opinion, uh, do an investigative piece and to be quite frank the reason i'm doing the the reply all is because emmanuel and his team have done and i could see their approach from day one it was investigative journalism like we just want to get down to the facts and i'm so happy they got a fact checker because i've never had a fact checker i would like to be fact checked do you understand what i mean maybe yeah. to some people it's a bit scary but to me i feel like yeah why not you know i, I want to be fact checked you know uh, and, and I didn't get that. It was just this kind of kind of tabloid journalism masquerading as tech Almost. journalism or music, you know. And I think it, sure. it didn't, maybe what I wanted to express didn't, was misunderstood. Let me just, it polarized the audience, but it got me a lot sure. of attention, bad and good. <laughs> I understand. Um, and I, I, I know mentioned that when he, he told you the story of this listener, Katie, who found your music and that you didn't have a, a sense of how you could have ended up on her top artist. Is that still true that you're, you, you're sort of like, I'm not totally uh, sure. You know, when Emmanuel then told me some of the songs that were on a playlist, like uh, Reproducer Musica, you know, on an album called Hello Mzungu was like, hello white man, you know, and Reproducer Musica uh -huh. is, is, I can't remember. I took different European languages from German, Dutch, Latvian, you know, 
And I said, how do I say, first of all, hello, Mzungu, you know, greetings, and play music in their language, you know, um, Spila Musica or whatever, you know. It was just, I like to word play, you know, I'm a, I'm a poet as well. And I don't know if those are the songs that came up for, for her. I mean, from what it said to me, those were, maybe the Google things were also there. So um, if you ask me, how does the algorithm at Spotify function? I cannot answer how it functions, but until we can all answer how it functions, then maybe I'll be able to answer your question how it ended up on a playlist. <laughs> but I did have something to do with it for sure in, in terms of my input, but in terms of how the, I mean, think about it. How is it the algorithm can give me major level music all the time on smart speakers uh, consistently? I mean, take any device today and just put in music. You're going to get the major labels. How could they yeah. get this one wrong? So ask the algorithm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and we have asked Spotify, um, and they haven't gotten back to us. So 